Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. In an essay for Entertainment Weekly in 1988, Stephen King wrote that, quote, nightmares exist outside of logic, and there's little fun to be had in explanations. They're antithetical to the poetry of fear. Later, he offered that, quote, in a horror story, the victim keeps asking why, but there can be no explanation, and there shouldn't be one. The unanswered mystery is what stays with us the longest. 
and it's what we'll remember in the end. And with that chilling missive, <laughs> welcome, boys and ghouls, to the latest harrowing dead stream of Sitting in the Dark. In this week, I've got some good news for you, because we're going to be diving into one of the most decisive horror films of the last few years. Kyle Edward Ball's feature directorial debut, rink. I'm your ghost host, Tommy Sweats the Turd, and I'm sitting in the dark alone. Why, you must be choking, because here it's the morgue, the merrier. <laughs> Say hello to my first co-host, Pete Fright. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> he sweats the turd now? <laughs> that, that's that's where you landed. That's him. And if at first you don't succeed, die, die again with my other co-host, Slay the Ants Flea. I mean, Ray Delancey. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking like this. I would like to die, die again right now. <laughs> oh <laughs> that is the worst. Wow. Yeah. That I'm was kidding. a freight train. Uh, I wrote all wow. of that at 11.45 at night in Vegas because no, I was just nice. got back from Vegas. I did. <laughs> uh, and so there might be is a little bit of... Is this one of those things that's supposed to stay in Vegas? <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe. Yeah, we that just was... figured out how to define the term. If that, if that was a... Um, font that would be modello <laughs> okay here we go <laughs> deep cut tom deep cut so to set the table i would like both of you to briefly talk about your experiences of growing up and your relationship with the dark specifically nighttime and going to sleep would one of you like Ooh. to go first just some basic memories mm -hmm. write us a tone poem about what it was like when it got dark and you were alone and it was time to try to go to sleep is this one of your patented guided meditations, Tom? <laughs> I really love these so Pete, much. Will you start? Ray, you go first. Oh, oh I Ray. Go okay, I'll go first. Ray, oh. you want to go first? Who Both talks? do it at the care. same time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we figured out that problem. Right? <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go first. I uh, My experience, in, I, I did have, I mean, I, I think kids generally have dark transition problems. I definitely did. Uh, and I didn't care for the dark very much. And now I can't get enough of it. Cannot be dark enough for me to sleep. I I really, really like sleeping in the dark. And uh, but but I do I relate to to the the sense memory of terror in places I can't see. And the idea of staring at a dark corner of my bedroom as a child hmm. and uh, and seeing things that weren't there is is still very fresh and maybe more fresh by watching this movie. Right. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think that I'm right with you. I was right frightened of the dark when I was young and now I can't get enough of it. But, you know, when I was young, as all of us do when we're kids, my imagination would run away with me. And we lived right by uh, an old steel mill, which had this tower with a red light on it that would blink Ooh. sometimes. And so <laughs> when I was Freddy a kid lives. sitting in, a in the dark and I would see that red light out the window, I thought that uh, it was going to be Satan coming to get me. Oh, so that, that really was funny. going straight to Satan. Nice. Well, and, you know. and was it? We can't really confirm that. I'm only yeah. on my ninth exorcism. Okay. So it's not taking is what it sounds like. Right. 
Right. Um, as for me, real quick, I've been very much on the record of wanting to scare myself when I was alone and in the dark, hence the title of this weird podcast. But that only came later when I was trying to gain control of my fear, and I learned much, much later in therapy, potentially I was doing that as a defense mechanism because I had an incredibly hard time in the dark while trying to get to sleep. It was mm -hmm. at that time when I always felt the most alone, the most vulnerable, and the most scared. And that's why I have a feeling that Kyle Edward Bald made Skinnamarink somehow with me in mind because he hates me. <laughs> uh, okay, so quick backstory. May I give a quick backstory about the film itself, Jen? Well, okay, so we're going to dig into the film proper in just a second. But first, I just have to say we have news and announcements. And news and announcements are very important for this show. How else will you know the news or the announcements? We now have a public sitting in the dark uh, Discord channel in our Discord server. Uh, 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 I uh, unlocked a lot of channels, uh, well, several channels, and made them public. And so anybody who's ever thought about jumping into Discord and thought, oh, no, I can't do it because I'm not a paying member to support, well, we'd love to have you too. So come check out the community. It's really, really great. And that's a place where we're talking about uh, movies and such. Yes, we still have the members' private channels, which are also awesome. And we appreciate uh, to all of you who uh, continue to support the show uh, by becoming a member and all of the shows of the Next Real Film podcasts. Uh, if you are interested in doing so, you can get the extended editions of our shows in your very own podcast feeds and access your secret community channels in Discord too. Check out thenextreel.com slash membership to learn more and thank you for your support. <laughs> Director Ball had a YouTube channel where he would ask readers to submit their childhood fears or nightmares, and he would upload lo-fi recreations of them. This led to a proof-of-concept short film called Heck, which can be found on YouTube. This led to an ultra-low-budget feature film we're talking about today called Skinnamarink, filmed entirely at Ball's Canadian childhood home for around $15,000. It debuted mm. at the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal in 2022 and then toured other festivals during this time. The film was pirated and parts of it were uploaded to Reddit and TikTok, where people went nuts for it. At first, uh, director Ball was like, oh, no, it's pirated. My movie is ruined. Instead, by the time that AMC slash Shudder bought it, the fervor for it amongst Reddit and TikTok people was through the roof, and it ultimately grossed north of $2 million in Canadian mm. money. Okay, and real money. <laughs> so conversion conversion has to go through doubloons or something yeah. anyway long uh, long economic before, story before we go further into the plot and reception now i think it's a good time to check in with my co-hosts about their reactions to seeing the film because it is polarizing as i said as all get out before i ask you i want to remind people of the stipulations that i gave uh that you guys had to try to recreate i saw this in the theater opening weekend, uh, I asked you to try to do as best you can. You had to watch it in as dark as possible and as loud as possible to at least give it a fair shake. Because if you watch this on a laptop in the middle of the day, you would think that I was pranking you. So would you like <laughs> to share your overall thoughts? Okay, Ray has to go first this time. Yeah, sure. I, um, so I watched it in the dark with my earbuds in, my nifty Raycon earbuds. and mm, uh, Not a sponsor. Th that is not a sponsor <laughs> and um it i i uh, i struggled big time with this movie because I, I i could not tell what was supposed to be going on i understood that there was there was a kid there but i i couldn't make heads or tails <laughs> of whose 
point of view the movie was supposed to be from at first i thought maybe it was like home security like paranormal activity just the way it kept switching from room to room in perspective (laughs) but then like none of that seemed to make sense because like hey here's a corner of a room and oh here's the floor and some feet and some legos on on the carpet and just stuff like that and that didn't make sense occasionally it would be from the kids perspective it looked like but not all the time and I, anyway, yeah, I, I just had a really difficult time understanding what was going on. I do get that it does have an atmospheric vibe to it that is creepy. And for those who like it, I understand how you could like it. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't come to you for the blurb? Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, sure. I was. No, ex- that's very, yeah. that's great. Uh, okay, I watched this. This was the first time I've ever done this. I I put on my PlayStation Five VR two, which you has all of the different apps, and you can you can like I signed into Hulu. It's on Hulu right now uh, as we record this, and I put the headset on and I put my the head the he- headphones on. So I mean, I was it, it is the equivalent of watching it in a sensory deprivation float tank. Like I think it's like in terms of of did I understand the assignment? There was no glow of other seats in the movie theater. This mm-hmm. and the screen was a virtual like seventy foot screen. It was it is huge. Wow. The screen floating in front of me and the sound was right there. There was nothing, nothing else. And after I finished this movie, no. Before I finished this movie, I thought, I can't wait to do this show because I'm going to come in and let Tom f***ing have it because he made me watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I went, it was a roller coaster of uh, just misdirected rage most of the time. I went back and forth between... <laughs> extraordinarily bored to like really deeply unsettled to questioning my role in the universe. Like Mm. the, the, the the things that, that I found myself reacting to were uh, just like the, the smallest things because there's so little else to react to. Right. Like it's, it's so sparse, so spare. So like Ray, I absolutely understand uh, how people can be fans of this. I d- absolutely understand how this movie could have driven you, Tom, to say, nope, I think I might want to leave the theater. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and like now I, I know like writing, I didn't enjoy the experience, but now I, that I've had a chance to think about it, I really like that I watched it. I like that it's over. <laughs> we <Right>. can talk. <laughs> it was it, it's a it's a troubling movie and that that was actually the first thing I wrote to Andy in in Discord. I said I don't think I liked it, but I'm honestly not sure. Mm-hmm. I it, because it it just there's a lot in such a sparse movie, there's a lot. I think it's way too long and I wonder if they could have achieved the yeah. same thing in a 30 minute short. So that's that's where I stand. Sure. Well, for my thoughts, as I said, I saw it in the theater and I thought it was dumb. All right, this has been sitting in the dark. <laughs> what if that was it? <laughs> and my screen just goes black. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sort of like you guys, and then something changed. Because yeah. I saw it in the theater, and at first I was intrigued, and then bored, and then confused. And then by the time the character of six-year-old Kaylee is asked to look under the bed by her yeah. seemingly disembodied father, I realized I was completely 
in the film's control. And I was more terrified than mm-hmm. I had been in the theater in years. It unlocked something. I got, I learned after it, I got muscle strains from tensing my shoulders up mm-hmm. around my neck. I had no idea they were doing that. And I honestly felt, Peter, you were exactly right. Equally interested in seeing how everything plays out. And I can't remember the last time I felt this way, also wanting to leave. Yeah. It was a tightrope. And it was the first horror movie to give me nightmares in decades. And I had to sleep with the lights on. What wow. does all of this mean? I regressed. Yeah. I went back. I so connected with the idea of childhood in this movie that I really shrank down <laughs> into mm-hmm. a more primal version of myself. And then there's the possibility of a hell vision or eternal suffering. And you know, my fascination, my horrible fascination with that kind of stuff. And so that's what. Uh, kept me just completely enthralled after a certain while. And again, this is from a film where nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nothing happens. Um, but one... that's, that's what's so interesting, Tom. That is really yeah. an interesting observation because I think this movie, more than just about any other that I can remember seeing, and and I asked in our in our member pre-show, I asked you guys if you could think of another movie that that would characterize this. Don't tell now because we want members to hear it. Mm. Uh, but I I asked that question because I can't think of another movie that so ably makes me a participant in the film. Like the movie itself is nothing without me and without what mm. I bring to it. And right. I think that's what's so puzzling. Like it really is the at the end of the equation that makes it good or bad because this th- there's nothing that happens. It's my it's the fear I bring that makes this movie horrifying. Right. Ray, what do you think about that? Let me ask you this. Uh, oh. Whenever you go into this movie for the first time, do you think it's better to do it knowing a little bit about it, maybe having seen a trailer or is it best to go in? Uh, as cold as possible and why I personally think it's better to see the trailer because it gives you at least a buffer of this is the aesthetic of the movie because Mm -hmm. otherwise if you didn't see anything you could be like oh no they've shipped the wrong print because there's no I had that thought kind of because I went in cold turkey on this movie and at first I'm thinking like is something wrong with like this version (laughs) of the movie file or something because these are just really awkward looking shots but I'm sorry a movie about children with like security cameras for eyes like what's going (laughs) on right now (laughs) so that's why I would like I would suggest to people like to try to watch just the trailer and I think the trailer is actually really well made too Um, uh, because then it gives you an idea of that aesthetic in the trailer. That is the movie. Like mm-hmm, it doesn't, yeah, it's right. not like, oh, there's that one hyper stylistic part. There's not a single normal, like what you would say traditional, except for actually one, two shots of someone being fully in frame and it not being shot from really low. We can get into photography in a second. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, it is very, that is a part of it um, yeah, for okay. me. Do you agree with that, Pete? That you well, would, I, or would you, you know, want to go you. in? I I read a bunch of reviews on Letterboxd to the film of people who've seen it, and it felt pretty evenly split of people mm-hmm. who uh, loved going in cold um, and really, really, really just loved the experience of being kind of assaulted with what the movie was, and people who were like, "I can't believe I went in cold. I wish somebody had warned me this was so terrible." Like right. it, it did feel sort of split. Like I honestly, it's a it's a litmus test for personality, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I don't 
I don't know what I would say. I, I knew a lot about it, and I think it had been set up for me to be this experiential, experimental um, film, and maybe that was maybe that was too much. Maybe I would have liked it more had I been completely cold on it. Mm. Um, and I, I know that the, the observation factor is, is a part of it. Like I am sure that watching it for this show impacted the way I looked at the movie. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Cause you're already, so there's, you're seeing it through a step. You're seeing it through a layer yeah, right, of right. critique. And sure. That's a good point. Right. Um, did you, do we need to talk about the plot? You can sum up the plot in like three sentences. Is that something that we Go do? For it. Yeah, this is, I mean, we do spoil, this show is a spoiler show. Maybe we need to have that as a flag up front, but the horn, consider this, my voice is the horn. The movie make, is spoiled. Make, Good luck a horn, with this movie. Oh, spoil it. A horn, no. Uh, no, I want you, I want you guys elk. to go, I want you guys to uh, sum up the movie. You have four sentences, one sentence each, and we're going to go Pete Ray, Pete Ray. You only have four sentences. And I think that will be more than enough. I'll start. We'll go around in a circle. I'll start. Oh, okay. All right. Set in 1995, four-year-old Kevin and six and his sister, six-year-old Kaylee, wake up to find their house surprisingly dark and their parents potentially missing. Is that what it's about? <laughs> Is that all? I think that might be it. The log line, uh, I, they, the, lo the traditional log line was, there's a longer one that came out later, yeah. but the long one is uh, two children wake up in their house to find their parents missing and all of the doors and windows gone. That's it. Wow. Yeah. And don't forget the hiding of the toilet. And uh, the the film is that a disorienting cool. exploration of uh, the things children see in the dark. Right. Now I want to go off that. See in the dark. Litmus test. It's been called mm -hmm. a Rorschach test of what mm -hmm. your childhood fears are. The photography. The DP is Jamie McRae. Uh, Jamie's also an actress. And um, for me... The thing that made the biggest impression on me was the incredible grain on the film, that the house is so underexposed that it has me. And this is what I wanted to bring up because it gets into what you you're saying. The film doesn't exist without someone watching it. It has mm -hmm. me searching the shadows for movement. There's so yes. many long uncut shots of just an empty, dark doorway that my brain, I probably just in a natural effort to find something to look at i started to see shapes sometimes not very distinct and they would go away but it's like i was trying to conjure something out of nothing yeah uh and that yeah. made me lean in unconsciously like i try to go into horror movies like a raw nerve anyways but when mm -hmm. i'm really leaning in even if nothing happens sometimes just a switch of a camera can give me a little jolt and i realize that i'm just really being played with um, right. Yeah, the darkness just pulses. What did you guys think? I, I think that was I think that was my experience. I, that was absolutely. I don't think it was. That was my experience too. Especially because of the perils of intermittent reinforcement. Most of the time, there was nothing there. Right. Sometimes there was. Sometimes I really feel like there was a view of someone sitting on a bed, and you could see the dark hair down her back. And slowly but surely, I think the head disappeared. Yep. And I. So end, that did yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah. She that's, that's that's potentially Kaylee. Okay. And she Kaylee incredibly slowly disappears. Right. Yeah. So slowly. Now that kind of stuff happened. That happened for real. Stuff like that happened repeatedly and sometimes didn't. Sometimes right. it was just me. And uh and and I think that coupled with 
the really strange change in focal, in like optical focal length. I, I'm not sure the word I want to use, but sometimes I'd find myself really, really focused on the grain and the, the repetitive pattern of the grain, especially when it played off of the uh, the cartoon. Like you'd have the cartoons they were using were kind of the old oldies, right? Where you'd have mm-hmm. multiple birds in a row, like all doing the same yeah. motion. And then that would cut away and I would still be seeing the birds in the pattern of the grain. And that would distract me from what's going on in the darkness behind it like I had to continually adjust my focus, uh, or else I, I like I would miss stuff. Or I it, again, it would play absolute tricks on me. So hmm. yeah, right. You know, I, I agree with both of you. I, I you're both making some interesting points because especially when we're children, our imaginations run away with us. And how many of us haven't seen shapes in the darkness, especially when we were younger and thought that could be something imposing or something that could hurt us. And like you said, you know, most of the time you look in the darkness in this movie and you think you see something and it could actually not be anything at all. Now, one thing I will say is the grain also is something that stuck out at me during this movie but for way different reasons the thing that i kept thinking was this seems like way more 70s or early 80s than 90s because if this is 1995 and they're filming this i'm thinking of like four three uh camcorder type shot right you know what i mean blair witch Right, right. Something along those lines. You bring up a fascinating point because you have not seen the trailer. In the trailer, after you have the whole skinnamarink, there is a very small on the side title card that says coming. And when it's coming, 2023 or whatever, Mm -hmm. at first it says coming 1972, I believe, for just a couple frames. And then that switches. Yeah. I think what it's doing, because with all that wood paneling, with all of that kind of old retro-ish house, mm-hmm. it's taking you back to when the house was built, almost. It's putting okay. you in the 70s, because that's where the house yeah. lit. This is just my personal feeling. And so filming it as such. So that helps with, I mean, yeah, because I mean, the cameras, it's very um, self-conscious. The amount of shots right at a TV when you get that rolling line because cameras of a certain right, yeah. can't mm-hmm. shoot TV. It can't do that kind of frame. And, and to lean into that is really putting you in an old time. And maybe that's a way of, for people in our generation or even an older generation or slightly younger, r- bringing you back to your childhood okay. yeah. is, my, is my thinking for that. That's Whether that's a good choice or not, I'm just, I, I don't know. I just, that's one of I the things see that I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I but that's another that. interesting I... point, though. Like, talk about, like, we're in a complicated era for, you know, our relationship with trailers. Like, in that regard, the movie sort of requires you to have seen the trailer in order to really understand mm. the, the complete, the most complete picture of what's going on in the film. I think that's interesting, too. Yeah. Can we, can we? Talk just briefly about slow cinema, like in, in particularly mm. in slow cinema in horror, when, when in terms of of pacing of this film and the choices that it makes in contrast to some of the more you know recent fast paced horror movies. Uh, how uh, talk about some of the choices and techniques that they're that are used here. It's hard because it was already brought up and it's pretty wildly, widely agreed that the film is too long. 
that you yeah. could cut a good 10 minutes out of it. I'm not entirely sure <laughs> because I don't know what you would cut out because there's this incredible delicate balance yeah, uh, to lull yeah. you in to make some of the most uh, successful um, jump scares. There's about mm-hmm. three in this movie and all of them and nothing happens. There's one that's, there's one that's kind of funny. There's one that's really horrifying. And one is just because someone walks up behind someone else and a flashlight falls on the floor. But each of them reverberate <laughs> for the next 20 yeah. minutes for me. Like they just, they yeah. make it because it's always that possibility. This is the kind of movie, as far as thinking about timing and patience, I don't remember other movies where I've been more on edge when the soundtrack goes to nothing. Yeah, Usually it's when was, strings, was very strings are going up. Though we talked about grain. Also, the grain on the soundtrack is huge. Mm-hmm. The, the, no, mm-hmm. the What would you call that? Audio noise? Yeah, like the, it's, like it's like white noise. It's like the, white noise or static. Yeah. And it's yeah. just constant. And you start to not really realize that it's there until it slowly goes away as you're looking at a dark hallway and in the palm of its and, hand. And I don't know how much of that is the sum of its parts. I feel like this would be the possibility of you take 10 minutes out of this movie and it just doesn't have the same, it just doesn't work as much. But yeah. how like, would you decide that, on that? Yeah. The quiet bit, it, I think that happens in the last third of the movie. It's like toward the end, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that for me, and I, I wonder, Ray, with your earbuds in, like it, that was so effective with headphones because mm-hmm. There was no environmental noise, right, right? right? Like it went completely, completely silent, as if they were pumping silence <laughs> into my head. The silence head, becomes right? deafening. It, yeah, it, it was. It was deafening. That that for sure was my experience. And you know, reflecting on it, it, being alone is one of the most intrinsic fears that all human beings have, and I think that. Mm-hmm it's probably magnified for children who are on their own. I mean, think of the kids in these movies. They're without their parents in the beginning. And then eventually Kevin is without Kaylee and the extended shots. I mean, you're talking about all these one shots and they seem extraordinarily long, but reflecting on it, I think that that, kind of adds to the the anxiety of the moment the visceral feeling of being alone in an unknown mm-hmm. situation in the dark and he's what four years old mm-hmm. yeah four and six yeah so like i i can't like i said it it kind of fell on deaf ears mostly for me or whatever Stolen yeah. phrase you want to use, but it, it, I can totally see how that could be, you know, what they're doing, what they're yeah. going for. That's a really interesting thing, though, and I want to connect it back to our home invasion series because my entire life connects back to our <laughs> home invasion series. <laughs> you uh, still think this, we're doing that episode? <laughs> I still think we're doing that series. Um, from the perspective of children, this is very much a violation of home as safe space, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. all the they took all my doors and for a brief few seconds my toilet. Um, so I the the in the connection to those. That that spiritual spiritual connection to those movies I thought was really interesting and and more disorienting because it was the child. The thing that I have not been able to connect to yet is more. It is what is there that is more 
than what the child sees. Is there anything literal that I'm supposed to take out of this story? Uh, because I know this is an exploration of, uh, or I've read that this is an exploration of abandonment and abuse, that the parents have abandoned or have been abusing the children. Um, I I did not get that. And, uh, you know, even when, you know, they he sees the dad and they hear, and the, the child hears, your father and I love you very much, right? Like, even all of those things I felt like are could be misinterpreted by a terrified child as something more than it is. And I'm wondering if the movie is something more than what I saw, you know, for the for the narrative path of these children. If I could, I would love to save that for the end. The idea of because oh. how I started with Stephen King saying, don't look for meaning. I want to look for yeah. meaning. Because I have, yeah. I think the movie gives us some clues, but maybe before we get there, I just want to, because there's so little in this movie, but yeah. the little that's there is very powerful. I wanted to continue to talk about the photography, just about two more things. Number one, okay. as we talked about, it's shot very low, as if from a child's perspective, looking up. And then a lot of the times, we're just looking at the lower half of the bodies, as if we're children looking up to children. It is constantly reducing our ability to make sense of the world around us. And our guides are children. And so that's yes. no help for that. But we're yeah. even We're very less. much at Lego level for right. much yes, of the it's movie. Always, I, I was hoping this would be like Toy Story and everything yeah. would come back. Um, <laughs> it is almost all locked off or slowly panning shots with the camera just on sticks. As I counted, just there's three handheld POV shots. And there are yes. always transitions from the main level, either upstairs to the parents' bedroom or downstairs into the basement. And I think there's just three of them. That's very brave to do. The last thing, when you talked about things getting, when it got quieter, it got even more deafening. Something yeah. that I think is mm -hmm. really interesting by how underexposed this movie is, is when there is light, it actually seems to suck other light away from it. There's that amazing yes. shot of Kevin sitting alone next to a nightlight. The nightlight is offering such pitiful amount of light that it's almost like it makes the world darker yeah. around him. And I was yeah. just I was sort of blown away by that. Um, well, that was that was I had a comment about that in my notes about the just the the high, 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 high dynamic range. Right. Like uh, in terms of contrast. Right. That when this movie is bright, it's incredibly bright. And when it's dark, it's obsessively right. dark. <laughs> yes. And then about the sound and the music, again, the, I wanted to touch on it because there's almost nothing to this movie. What did you guys think? We talked about the static, the white noise, that feeling of um, what did you I mean, the only score is from old timey cartoons, mm -hmm. um, which I had never maybe it's it's probably a cliche, but I'd never known about it. When you take away the visual, even with the visuals, but when you take away the visuals. It's really interesting to see how supposedly fun, wacky da, 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 music is terrifying because yeah. it's too many instruments they're all fighting against each other and mm. they're battling with sound effects when you take away any visual from it it kind of sounds like chaos it sounds like what you yes. would give to a prisoner to drive them insane <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that would work better than like acdc or whatever we do because there's nothing to hang on to yeah. it can change uh right. no matter what and so that makes it for very un Steadying. Did you guys think that the score from the old timey cartoons and just the sound in general, we can talk about the voice later if we want. Um, Ray, what did, did you think it was helped it or was just sort of background noise? Cause there was really, there's like four lines of dialogue in this movie. 
It, it definitely had the effect of making things unsettling. And one thing that I definitely thought about was the fact that as a small child, I had a bunch of old cartoons like that from the public domain on mm. tape. You know, so it was definitely not uncommon for something like that to be on the TV in my house. So it's definitely not like this film can't communicate. I, I mean, I, uh, I agree with that. I think the, um, I, I think the use of the cartoons when it started, I thought this is going to be ridiculous. Why isn't the cartoon stuff not stopping? And by the end of the movie, I, I thought this is, this was an incredibly effective choice because <laughs> it, it invert like so much of this movie is about inversion of expectations, and uh, the, the cartoons I think live up to your point that they invert your expectations of safety and comedy and become something of, of horror. And then the movie literally inverts itself where our protagonist is on the ceiling. Right. And that in terms of photography, like you, when you put the camera on the ceiling from a perspective of where the kids were looking up, like all of the up angles to just echoing what you said earlier are very, very sharp. Right. Mm -hmm. That we're looking up to the ceiling in the corners. All of the things are very, very sharp. And now we're on the ceiling and that's where the kids were looking the entire time. We've just adopted their perspective for the life of me. I don't know why, but that's what <laughs> happened. And I, I thought it was effective and unsettling and curious. And. Setting. um uh, what I noticed upon second viewing, because I've only seen it twice, once in the theater mm -hmm. and then once here on Shutter in my house. Um, sometimes the cartoons, well, there's one very big allusion to maybe what's going on that a cartoon gives that beep, which we will talk about. But another one is a lot of times cartoons will comment on what maybe just happened. That they're not mm -hmm. as random as they see. One of the big ones is when mom off screen says there's someone here. It's a jump scare where you hear what sounds like a bone cracking and a scream, it cuts right to the cartoons from an off angle, so it's a little hard to hear, but it's showing a character being caught in a big spider web. That's what's happening yeah. in the... So a lot of times the uh, cartoons are sort of commenting on it. I want to save oh, yeah. the bee whip until now I think we should get to what Pete started us on. We're not mm -hmm. supposed to ask what is happening, so let's ask, what is what happening? What is happening? They film, do you mind if I talk for just a couple seconds uh, to give, yes. to deliver what the clues are? Yes. And then Please. we can decipher yes. what we think. The first clue happens when pretty much off, literally off camera, we hear what we assume is dad calling someone. We can probably assume it's mom uh, and saying, so he's fine. But Kevin fell down the stairs and hit his head. We yes. heard a scream and a car going, we didn't have any context for it when it happened, but potentially we heard the drive to the hospital. Uh, he later says, no, they didn't even need to do stitches. Kaylee said he was sleepwalking. So that's clue right. number okay. one. I feel like we need some sort of an on-screen indicator of things that happened and things that I caught. <laughs> so right now we're one for one. <laughs> I caught that yep. and it happened or it happened and I caught it. Okay, go. Okay. Um, Number one, one possibility, and a lot of people think that this might be it, is that Kevin is in a coma. He hit his head, okay. and the rest of this is hearing sounds, hearing the dark, sort of living in this, in his own consciousness, walking mm -hmm. around his own memory, trying to make sense of things. 
Now that can be a possibility. Let's go in and say what some of those things could be. Abuse or abandonment. Number one, we don't see Kevin fall down the stairs. We don't hear any right. stairs. We just hear a scream and then a screech. Uh, and I am absolutely, to use Ray's thing, at times I'm leaning way too into it. So that's fine. Uh -huh. But I like poking around in this movie. Falling down the stairs is like an old cliche for abuse. It's like hitting your face on a doorknob. Yeah. yeah like right. to say that a kid right. fell down the stairs. Um, and along that way, trauma or neglect can seem disorienting. When you're that young, you lack perspective, which the framing shows literally. And it can be, if you want to go real literal, your world is turned upside down. Right, right. Things are on the ceiling. You're on the ceiling. Everything is turned topsy-turvy mm -hmm. is a possibility. Yeah, like maybe the whole movie is happening while he's in mid-fall. It's very possible. Any of this <laughs> oh, is possible. Like, yeah. Like, like there is that one scene where all of his stuff is on the wall. Yep. And right. that that really sort of echoes the the whole inversion principle in this movie. Interesting. Okay. And if you are abandoned or if there is abuse going on and you're a child, it can feel like there is no escape, i.e. no doors, no windows, no way out. So that's yeah. a possibility. Another thing that I do believe definitely is that at some point the mom left. There was a divorce and the mom left or the mom died. The clues for that, and mm -hmm. this is Kevin's attempt to understand mm -hmm. it, uh, mom isn't brought up until 28 minutes in. It's always, mm -hmm. where's dad? Where's dad? Mom is out of the picture, yeah. past whom maybe dad is calling. At one point, Kevin asks, uh, why is mom crying? Later, Kevin says, maybe dad went with mom. And Kaylee responds, I don't want to talk about mom. That could be yeah. not wanting to talk about something. And then the big one, in the first upstairs POV in the parents' bedroom, Pete, you already brought up this uh, dialogue. Mm -hmm. When the mother is facing away from camera, it says, Kaylee, your father and me, we love you and Kevin very much. That is classic mm -hmm. divorce language. Of what course. The line next is, it's not your fault. We both love you very much, but we're going to be separating. Yeah. So that's the kind of um, trauma, whether it's happening in real time, happened a long time ago, whatever, I think is percolating throughout. And then we hear. Yeah maybe the mom being hurt yeah. she says there is something and that's when you hear the bone cracking and that's the last time we ever hear anything from mom so it could be like write a write a divorce scene or a scene of abuse and then cut up all the different sentences and shake it up and throw it on the ground yeah. and then film right. it in that order because that's maybe that's child logic like. yeah yeah. Well, and it, it does. It's interesting, though, because so far I am totally on board with the child in a coma bit. And I it to me, it feels like what this is also what he might be hearing. Right. Right. Even though he's in a coma, right. like, let's just say he maybe he can hear and can't move or something. And he's hearing your father and I love you very much. And, you know, maybe it's bones are being reset or something like that. Or maybe it's Kaylee's. There was an accident or something, because at the end, there is this the the thing I think I liked least about this movie is the few seconds at the very, very end with the blood splashing and then unsplashing on the ceiling. And I'm not sure how any of that plays into the clues. None of that lines up for me. Um, so I'm hoping you will make me like that. Well, that's the part that I, I can't say I liked the most. This movie is hard to enjoy, <laughs> but that is the part where I decided, oh, this was horribly made for me. Because another option that can involve all of these things, there can be abuse, there can be abandonment, uh -huh. there can be divorce, you can be a head wound, all of these things seen through a mixed up child perspective. And then right. you inter then you introduce cosmic horror. 
that there actually <laughs> is an entity. Okay. That there actually is, and that they are all, or Kevin, is in hell. That there's an entity playing with them for its own amusement, and it can make anything happen for as long as it wants. Let's talk about that for a second. Number one, in um, Kyle Edward Ball's short film, Heck, at one point, it's a lot of the exact same kind of thing. And then one of the characters, the character, pretty much says in that same whispered with a subtitle, he figures out, I think we're in hell. We got very sick because there's someone, there's a cancer, I believe, is involved. And he mm -hmm. thinks that something happened and he went to hell. The reasons that I think about this is, number one, what is the one cartoon that we see the most? Beep. It is of um, a car. Oh, and this is at, well, look, there's a magic rabbit yeah. playing impossible tricks on a dog. And what it is, is that the rabbit makes itself disappear and then the mm -hmm. tape skips and it's back and it makes mm -hmm. itself disappear tape skips back and that happens over and over again even when we stop seeing that image we hear that sound and that sound is played over pete's aforementioned blood splashing on the wall then it comes back mm -hmm. blood splashing on the wall then it comes back what is hell if not repetition the idea of uh eternal suffering if there is this horrible demon that quote wants to play that can put him to sleep and then wake him up and then have it just go on and on, make him do self-harm, and then take away yeah, any ability. put the knife in your eye. Put the knife in your eye. When Kaylee, uh, off-screen, refuses to play by its rules, it seemingly takes away her mouth and her eyes. Mm -hmm. She says she's stuck. She feels weird, and she feels stuck. And we see her. She's just in the basement. So he took her mm -hmm. out of the equation. Um, and then there's the title card. When we see, uh, when the finally we, there's only a couple times that the film uses crossfades. There's this really slow crossfades of this impossibly long hallway with all of the toys magically stuck in a giant to the pile at the end. Yeah, yeah. and it just goes. It feels it very much like time bandits. It's very much like time. Oh, that's. <laughs> I yeah. knew it was pulling something from me, but I didn't know yeah. what it was. That's exactly it. Well, it's like you just... And isn't it interesting that Ball would make this movie that takes place in that era and calls back to a movie that was made kind of in that era and right. feels so resonant to um, us. It uh, goes and goes and goes and then the title card, it's the very first non-dialogue title card that we see and it reads 572 days. That can yeah. be seen as this has been going on or Kevin's in a coma for as long or it's been playing with him for 572 mm -hmm. days in the short movie heck it's uh designated as sleeps 24 sleeps 300 sleeps it's another okay. way of just saying more time is progressing than we can possibly fathom and again that could be as yeah as long as he's in a coma or in hell but what do you does that do anything for you unfortunately it does a lot for me because i am predetermined <laughs> to be fascinated and terrified not terrified horrified by the idea of hell that if hell yeah i've said if hell is real there's nothing else to worry about it's the worst possible thing ever if it's really eternal and if hell is repetition the idea right. of me coming away thinking that maybe kevin this little boy who this toe-headed little boy who is just cute because he's a little boy that's cute and seems nice and is worried about his parents and worried about Kaylee and is slowly robbed of everything. And then finally reality being a plaything for this mm -hmm. insane thing who even promises I will protect you. And the protecting is a bunch of growling. And then all of a sudden he's on the ceiling. That's horrifying to me. That's rough stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. And especially the end, like the end, you get the, 
the sort of punchline is like we're back under the bed, right? We're right. looking under the bed and the face emerges and you, it never becomes a face, but it's, you know, it's a face and it's making its its presence stated. And, and this is the thing that said, you know, Kaylee didn't listen. So I took her mouth, right? right. Like that, that, that's a horrifying thing. I, um, it's really interesting, Tom, that that I feel like the the super or, or the the coma line appeals to me more sure. than the supernatural like devil horror, uh, because I don't know, I uh, I I don't know how 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 that appeals to me. I I think I can. I think you've made the case that all of those things can play into. Uh, a 572-day slightly lucid coma right? state for yeah. a child. Yeah, right. There's a thing that manifests out of our nightmares and becomes more real given the amount of time it's incubating in a coma state. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. I can kind of, I can kind of get there. I think that might be what I like to see out of this movie. I don't know, Ray. Are you have you changed your thinking? Yeah. I think I think I appreciate it much more since we've discussed it here. But like Tom yeah. said, if you can like anything about this movie, I think I like the fact that you can interpret this movie pretty much any way you want and it will yeah. pretty much make sense. Like because there is so little that's full on shown to you right. that you can really just take it in any direction and all of those right, there's just one shot t- of a face and there's no face on the face yeah there's no right. face on the face <laughs> and and that makes this the perfect movie for people that see jesus and tortillas yeah because <laughs> yeah it's a jesus sure. tortilla movie yep. yeah yeah you, you can look at it's this really movie and see anything you want yeah it that I, you know what that's a really good point when this yeah. movie started i that was the thought i had was like this movie is made by somebody who sees like giraffes in the clouds um, like it's definitely the cloud shape game movie because I saw shapes everywhere yeah. and they were influenced by everything. And that is the thing I think I appreciate most about this movie is, you, you know, Jamie McRae as an experimental filmmaker has made a film that visually taps into every part of my brain and tests me around every single corner. Whatever is going on in the movie, watching the movie, I make of it more of a movie. And mm. that I think is is really satisfying. I don't. I, I I stand by my thinking that it was too long. Maybe not a ten minute short film too long, but wow, cruising in on what was it like an hour or hour forty something? Hour forty, yeah, yeah. It doesn't um, feel like I, an hour forty. Yeah, it feels more uh, right. Yeah. Right, it feels it feels longer. Um, but you know, it, it is it's deceptively complicated for being a fifteen thousand dollar movie shot in yeah. the suburbs of Western Alberta. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I will take, yeah. uh, for forcing you guys to to watch it, I will take, maybe I didn't enjoy watching it, but I enjoy having watched. I'll take yeah. that because there's not a lot of people that I can do that with. And I find this movie, we were a nice mix of yes. what and me, who's just, I, yeah. I have taped flashlights around my head, so I'm never in the dark <laughs> again. <laughs> uh, that's all about, that's about yeah. everything that I had. Is there anything else that anyone wanted to talk about before we close this out? You you covered my notes, uh, nary a face in sight, right? Covered my notes. Uh, I will. Yeah, I'll just say worth it. For whatever Good. reason, worth it. Glad I watched it. It's and, definitely uh, the kind of movie that, even though it wasn't, might not have been for me. Uh, I can definitely say, you know, if this is what you're into, then 
check this out. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like what you were saying in the beginning, Tommy. Like, I wouldn't, like, recommend this to anybody, but you should watch it kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. If I yeah. can force you to watch it, it'll be good. And maybe you won't be mad at me. <laughs> well, if if that's where we... I mean, do you have anything else? Is there anything else you want to add? No? You're good? The thing that we did not pregame is what happens next month. That's the end of our skinamarinking in the dark. That is. We don't know who has the assignment next month. We got it's thrown you. off. Haven't we it's been you, going around? And, we've been going around and around. I know, but then we got thrown off because Lester and and uh, Keenan uh, showed up, we, and now I don't know who's someone in. Isn't it still your turn, Pete? Is it my turn? It, you would yeah, be because, next. Yeah. I, then I want it to be. For God's sake, I want it to be my turn. I just don't know what I'm doing. Do you have an assignment for me to prep on? What, that's literally what you, what your job. You like, I know it's my it's my job, but I haven't figured it out. Go rewatch anyway, all the I home invasion time. movies. I, <laughs> well, I I come unprepared. I I I honestly did not know where we were in the rotation, and I did not come prepared. So you'll have to watch uh, Discord and see mm-hmm. what we end up doing. But it'll be we'll post it in the in the channel and and let you know what comes next. Uh, and so that was really exciting. Now, I don't know how we're going to do this. I'm, I'm really interested in, in your perspective here, but, um, we, this, we have letterboxed. Uh, I, I wonder if this movie is ultimately rankable <laughs> letterboxed. Are there enough widgets? Hmm. Are there enough widgets in letterbox between hearts and stars to actually really uh, uh, quantify how we feel about this movie. Uh, you can check out the uh, the Next Reels HQ page over at letterbox.com slash the next reel. Check out all of our lists or swipe down for the no- in the notes in, in this very episode and you'll find a direct link to uh, this movie in Letterboxd. Our great thanks to Letterboxd for their support of the Next Reel. If you'd like to get your own ad-free membership, just use the code NEXTREEL at checkout to save yourself 20% on upgrade. Works for renewals as well. All right. So, Tom, you get to go last. It sounded like Ray. you said works for renewals as well. That can't be true. It, Tom, it does. What? You heard right. But you yeah. said 20%. Yeah, 20% yeah. in a row. Yeah. Wow. And renewal. Okay, great. I know. It's amazing. All nice right, Ray, box. what are you going to do? I'm going to renew my, I'm gonna renew my letterbox. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, no. I, what are you going to do for your rating? <laughs> uh, uh, initially, I wanted to give it one star and no like. Mm. But, oh, that's that's hardcore. At, but after upstairs, this conversation, <laughs> I'm going to put the letter boxed in your eye. Oh, two and a half. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to give it two and a half and no like, because I realize that this is not a bad movie. It is extremely experimental, mm-hmm. and it works for some people, and it's interesting to watch. I am I, right there with you, Ray. And I, you know, as I am Pete, no half stars, right? I am three stars. I'm not going to give it a heart, but I absolutely recognize that this movie is is doing something. Uh, and it's there is value to what Kyle Edward Ball has done here. It, it's it's something else. How do you, how do you, what criteria do you guys use for the like or not like? If you the had heart, to find it, the yeah. heart, d- mm-hmm. it, like d- apart from the stars. Just so I can get my sense, because this is a tough answer for me. For me personally, I always do. Is this something that I'm actively going to seek out again? Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of the guilty pleasure marker too, because I can give something one star and a heart, 
And that's a movie that I recognize is culturally challenging. <laughs> like not, maybe not a good movie, but I love it. The Hudson right. Hawk rating. Right. <laughs> we, that, of course, is five star and a heart, but you get it. My apologies, yes, <laughs> for most people. Okay, that makes that helps completely because I would say for what it did and how many people are surely going to copy it and do it unsuccessfully, but because mm -hmm. this one got there first, I will say four stars and no heart because oh. this is a high-rated movie that would be hard. I was really happy to watch it the second time, also because it made it a little bit more controlled for me. Like I sort of exercised this movie a little bit, um, yeah. even though I watched it in the dark and screaming. Uh, but yeah, so four and up because yeah, being, there's going to be rare times where it's like, ah, what should I do? Let's pop on Skinamarink. <laughs> yeah. Say that. <laughs> right, right. I could just watch the TV on static. <laughs> it would be fine. <laughs> I could be Carol Ann instead and save myself yeah. some time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I will say four stars and a like. <laughs> Interesting. And four stars might be high, but it obviously made an enormous impression on me. It sure did. Yeah. It sure did. All right. All right. Well, we you. did it, boys and ghouls. We thank you, it. everyone. Uh, thank you so much for listening and for skinnamarinking with us. Ray, goodbye. Oh, fine. <laughs> I didn't know how to say that. Ray, <laughs> say something. <laughs> no, this this was this was a great conversation, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So, thank you. Oh, good. And Peter Marinky. Tom, I put the knife in my eye. No, you want some grown-ups? No. I'm going to get you. <laughs> and then the toy turns into my face. Oh, bleh, bleh. That goddamn toy. Uh, that's it. Thank you for sitting in the dark with us. We will see you next time in the basement. You've been Skinnamarink. I don't think I have a. I don't think I have a. That I don't think perfect. I have a catchphrase for this. <laughs> I think we'll end I just it like we always talking. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Music